Okay. Thank you, Ryan. And uh, hi. Good to be here. Um, so I'll read poems tonight. Um, this is my second time here, um, and yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't. Um, I've never done residencies like you know, you know, people go to, you know, um, Provence and um, fancy places just to write that that whole thing. I, I struggle with that uh, because I've, I I I get bored with myself. Um, <laughs> And then I hear that some places don't have TV, which I find un very uncivilized. Um, so, but I figure it's because I'm young, you know. That's why. That's why. That's that's the problem. And as I get old, uh, I will probably want to go on one of these um, things uh, for for long stretches. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, um, I, I want to read some poems. But though I must say, the last time I was here, the great revelation was to see some of John Gregg's work, and then I, it made me led me to write a whole bunch of poems uh, responding to to his um, his his line drawings, his remarkable line drawings that were on exhibit there, and. Um, I collaborate with many people, and there's a way in which that kind of intimacy of looking at somebody's work and then responding to it uh, creates a connection that is um, that is invaluable. Uh, so, so I'm going to read this for John, and then my hope is that he will he will tell me where he gets his his really cool duds. He wears really cool clothes. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you a quick story before I read. Um, you know, I, I, I go to the gym. Don't laugh. I do. Um, and I remember one morning I was in the gym. I haven't been in a while, but that's, that's another, that's just a confession. Um, <laughs> but I remember one morning I was in the gym. And I don't take this wrong, but it was a, an old guy who, you know, it's admirable. He was in the gym, like doing the gym thing. But I watched him and he was sitting there. He didn't want to be there, you know. He was sort of doing some some curls with the dumbbells, and I looked at him, and you know, like his, he's he's he. I think he just given up of everything. His balls were hanging out, the whole thing, and I was saying, man, like. Because I'm going to be his age if I live, and I'm probably going to look like that. And I said, no, I don't want to be that guy, like, sitting in the gym. <laughs> Somebody told you you got to go do this, and, like, you know, and you don't care. Okay, so look at my balls. I don't care. <laughs> and then I went to China. Like, one morning I was in somewhere in Beijing, and I looked out of the window, and I watched all these sort of old people, this guy's age, older people, and they were all doing Tai Chi. And I said, I want to be that old guy. Like, that's how I want to look. I want to Tai Chi my way to death. Because nothing hangs out when you Tai Chi. It's like everything stays together for some weird reason. So, on that note, <clears throat> this is a poem called Eclipse for John Gregg. This thin nib through the ink Though through the ink is black, the nib has a fine, delicate quality. Effet is what one might call it. And it is what I was given, a thin nib 
black ink, and a sheet of paper. Indeed, many sheets of paper the color of eggshells, the way even the whitest shells have a hint of dirt, a kind of stale, used quality. Then before me unfolded the ballet of empires. You can envisage it, a kind of dungeon with the high square window creating the lights drama is made of. Not enough light for me to see, so I know I left the page by the sound and feel of my nib on wood. The players, a colonel, a chef, a lawyer, a gentleman, a child, and a woman, a nurse, smiling stupidly since she knew she would be wiping up afterwards in the deepest shadows the legs of a man with no torso, no head. I wrote this down before the terrible roar, and then it grew dark as an eclipse. I'm reading some poems from my new book, which will come out um, in November. Uh, it's called City of Bones. And all these poems are in conversation with the uh, plays of August Wilson, a great African-American playwright, who completed a 10-play cycle and then died. And each play represented a decade of the 20th century. If you don't know his work, you really are <laughs> depriving yourself of like the great American playwright. So you should you should you should check it check out his work. Crossroads. Lie down, lie down, and live as quiet as a bone. Once below a time by Dylan Thomas. This is the dark of Babylon. Tawny prairie lands dull with light snow, the sky heavy with gloom. My mornings continue the nightmare of cold eating away at the rack of my body, so dry, so bleak, so complete. The devil is at the crossroads, would have preferred to meet my panting father, his eyes so long emptied of hope he couldn't even get drunk right. How they made him like this, his last dream blighted by the thud on his flimsy wall. The foreman's bark, the burden of cotton, the truth that there is nothing but a beast emptiness in his life, caged in the limits of his district, caged by the rituals of burying the dead long before they have died, caged by the hunger of children. Could God, even the nastiest sinner, knows not to go get drunk in the steamed-up chapel where Jesus promises a party in the hereafter? I wish it was my papa, with his big hands, with his fist full of fat dick, asking me if I have a problem, if he can taste some of my girl's cream, maybe find his way to heaven before I do, and he beat me off her, dropped his overalls, and made her go mute in dust beneath the towering elms, the horse scrawny as these bodies of ours, ritualizing the way a man becomes a man. I had to whip him, had to beat on him, had to make blood come from my father's head, had to watch him crawl up against a tree, look at me, tell me he will never see me no more, never feed me no more. 
like it was the biggest relief of his life. Like he had been waiting all his life to cut me off of him for good. And that girl, gathering her things, told me to stay and make it right. She said it would be foolish to starve over some country pussy. Ain't, it ain't nothing, she said. Just plain stupid to think a nigger girl needs a hero. Like I ain't never been screwed by Satan looking for some heaven in this ragged edge of life. I wish it was my daddy at the crossroads waiting for me, but he wasn't there. It was just the devil. And he got mad because I wasn't scared of him. And I told him to do his worst. What can a fool do to me in this cold place where everything is dark and home don't have a sound no more? So tired, dear God. I'm so damned tired deep down in my bones. I'm so tired of walking hard. So tired of walking through this Babylon land. Baron Samdi is a Haitian, uh, it's a Haitian god, uh, and he's known as the deity of death. Dresses very fancily in fancy clothes. So this poem is called "Death," Baron Samdi. First, your dog dies. And you pray for the Holy Ghost to raise the inept lump in the sack. But Jesus' name is no magic charm. Sunsets and the flies are gathering. That is how faith dies. By dawn you know death, the way it arrives and then grows silent, death wins. So you walk out to the tangle of thorny weeds behind the barn and you coax a black cat to your fingers. You let it lick milk and spit from your hand before you squeeze its neck until it messes itself, its claws tearing your skin, its eyes growing into saucers. A dead cat is light as a live one and not stiff, not yet, and you grab its tail and fling it as far as you can. The crows find it first. By then the stench of the hog pens hides the canker of death. Now you know the power of death. That you have it, that you can take life in a second and wake the same the next day. This is why you can't fear death. You have seen the broken neck of a man in a well. You know who pushed him over the lip of the well, tumbling down. You know all about blood on the ground. You know that a dead dog is a dead cat, is a dead man. Now you look at a white man in the face, talk to him about cutting prices and the cost of land, laugh your wide open mouth, laugh in his face, and he knows one thing about you, that you know the power of death and you will die as easily as live. This is how a man seizes what he wants, how a man turns the world over in dreams, eats a solid meal and waits for death to come like nothing, like the open sky, like light at early morning, like a man in a red pin striped trousers, a black 
top hat, a yellow scarf, and a kerchief dipped in eau de cologne to cut through the stench coming from his mouth. <clears throat> it, it, it doesn't get fun at any point. So uh, I'm afraid it's, it's pretty much like this for the whole time. <laughs> yeah, life. Okay. There's <clears throat> a great play called Fences by August Wilson. And there's a character, no, not Fences, Piano Lesson. There's a character called Bernice. The plot is simple. There's a piano that has been passed down from generation to generation, from slavery into free time. Bernice's brother wants to sell the piano to buy some land. Bernice wants to keep the piano as a talisman, as a kind of legacy, as a kind of heirloom for the family. And that's the plot. They fight to see who will win. So this poem is, is called Creed. As a quote from August Wilson, Bernice don't believe in nothing. She believes in anything it is convenient for her to believe. She knows what comes with believing in God. Then you have to believe he's not a kind God. And you have to believe he hates black folk. And you must believe he could have stopped Crawley from going out that night to get shot by those white people over some firewood. That's what comes from believing in God. You believe in God, you wonder who's listening to you at night when you let a man move on you and then you know he won't be back. You believe in God, you will hope he comes back and you will be disappointed always because he won't come back. He never comes back. And where is God then? She knows what comes from believing in ghosts or spirits walking the path. If she does that, she has to wonder if that smell of her husband's sweat late at night is coming by to stay with her. And then she has to wonder why he never comes when she needs him. She will have to wonder what all those old folk and younger boys who had to eat their own dicks while hanging from a tree with these crackers looking on, what are they singing now? How can anyone believe they can hear those voices? What kind of noise would that be? She knows what comes from believing in the rumors of trains filled with the lost souls roaming around with the hunger for vengeance. If you think this, if you carry this, you can't go on. You can't live like the world is in what you can carry in your hands. What do you do with your back? How you make things happen on your own? Have nothing given to you and nothing is taken from you. She knows why she can't believe in nothing. Why she can't believe in prayer. Because prayer and praying is to weep. Praying is to beg. Praying is to throw your hard body against the night because you have nothing else. Music is a lie. Music will make you soft, will take you away from the things you can hold in your hands. Music, those songs that sound, will wash you, make you fall apart with nowhere to go. No, a woman must believe in nothing and nothing will take her on. This is how you make your world small enough for you to wake up each morning and breathe. <clears throat> News from Harlem. 
for Marcus Mosiah Garvey. Uh, even here on the south side of this city of wind and blood, news is good for Negroes. A fat-faced, true African man, one of those black men, you know, never ever had a doubt that he is a man and strong. One of them magic men who know what God must feel like standing over an army of angels. One of those men who stood at the edge of the new century and seen a wide world of what could be. A man who, when he heard what Du Bois said about the color line, thought right off that this is going to be a century where everybody will be talking about niggas like they are new money. And he, sure as hell, is going to shout shine and shine a man with two big hands and a head full of words who knows the freedom of nothing to lose a man who knows the long legacy of rebels those maroons whispering akan in the hills knife men cutlass men roots men Congo men, those yellow-eyed, quiet men who look at death like it is a good idea that someone came up with. And man, that's pretty tough, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> who look at death like it's a good idea someone came up with. Sorry. Occasionally, I impress myself. <clears throat> a man who learned by touching the split chest of a white man, his heart still thumping, everything inside him slick with blood and water, his ribs pulled aside where the doctor tried. That white man ain't nothing but flesh, old rotten flesh like everybody else. A man who's done the math and knows that for 50 years, his people have been waiting for something bigger than themselves. Well, news has it that this man is causing trouble in Harlem and the world won't be the same when he's done with it. Even here, the excitement of it is rushing through the blues joints and people are strutting about like they have been marching, like they've been waving flags, like they shouting the name of freedom beside the round-faced black man with his proud high voice, showering imperatives on the folks who gather to hear him talk with his sweet island singing. Black man sweating, dressed clean with high color and good shoes. Yeah, this is good news, walking, because we all need a daddy with a we all need a daddy, a man with a good firm voice, a man who knows what we must do to change this wearying world, a man with a head full of dreams of ships, seven miles of them, coming into that gaping Hudson mouth, red, gold, and green flags flapping in the air, seven miles of ships as far as the eye can see, coming in, coming in, coming in. Seven miles of Black Star Liner coming the harbor. <clears throat> the Lost Tribe. One. Stones. By the way, this poem is set on the barrier islands of the Carolinas, really South Carolina. I don't know if you know this, but those barrier islands were the, they were quarantine spots. So when the Africans were brought in, uh, before the auction block, they would be 
quarantined on the barrier islands off the coast of the Carolinas, uh, sometimes up to three months to a year to see whether they will survive without disease or anything like that. And then they will be sent uh, or, or till they look ready to fetch a good price. Sometimes they have to get better. And then when they look like they can sell right, they will send them to Charleston uh, for the auction. So these barrier islands, they, they, you can still find coffles and other trinkets from that, from that period. Uh, I have a friend who has a house there and she's digging in her backyard and she'll find <laughs> like chains and stuff like that. So <clears throat> anyway, but it's also a fancy place for tourists and so on. <laughs> just, just don't dig too deep. It just gets very, it's not what you want when you're, when you're on vacation, is it? Lost tribe, stones. I have arrived at the edge of the barrier islands, and beyond this is the pigeon of a dark sea. Even the foam has a brown tint. The grand waves rise and fall restless as these dreams. I have had curled on the straw and packed mud for my bed. I have arrived here and looked out beyond the entanglement of these stacked up grasses and bramble and the fierce hooks of thorns follow the scent of the water as if somehow I could find home when the beach is still pocked with the slaver's paraphernalia, a busted pirogue, black coffles, rotting cotton clothes mummifying the bare bones of dead slaves. But all I find are silent stones. Two, the language of birds. After 300 years, she imagined she would know the language of birds. Yet each dawn, walking through the slick, dew-heavy woods, she can't read the scattered calls. She frowns at her alienness. Not yet she can't call this home. The fruits are too firm. She's used to the soft fleshiness of mangoes and papaws. She comes here to find the leaves and seeds she stuffs into her blackened leather pouch that smells of the densest shadows of a forest womb. The path back is towards light, the swell of quarreling spirits at her back. The bloom of a sun breaking open is the one familiar dialect she knows, the promise of fire. Three, memory. Now in the city, she has not stepped out of the gloom of her home for 30 years. Now she lives on the memory of boats bobbing on the unsettled water, the clear air of mountain, a mountain walk, the feel of wind on the skin. It is all memory now, and she has not walked the gravel path to the plots where the dead are buried. Let all these dead people bury themselves, she coughs, and announces the shelter of walls as a final birthright. She has brought the forest into this solid, musky hovel where vines crawl along the walls and the air is thick with the potions and healing tears. And for arrival, here is the simple truth. I was told how these useless barren islands came to be crowded with the mutterings and low moanings of thousands. They are lost beyond the sea. The story goes bumping into each other meeting in confused circles, making and unmaking laws. 
They are blind to each gesture by the chiefs who have also forgotten the language of return. They will stumble around singing laments into the yellowing leaves until they find someone who knows the temple of bones beneath the sea, the calming of the bone mansions, the resting place of the dead, the kingdom of constant grace. A species called Postbellum. Um, it's a weird poem. This whole collection is kind of weird, but I think the timing is perfect uh, because it's going to come out um, just before uh, Donald Trump becomes president of the United States. And um, so, so, so we are really hustling right now, uh, black folk, to try and get what we can, while, you know, while time is right. Because it's my belief that um, when he does become president, we could say what the hell we want to say. The response will be, "You had your eight years. Shut up. Y'all think I'm joking, but it's true." All right. So this poem is called Postbellum, and it's about the 19th century, kinda. <laughs> they never used to hate us like this. This hate that sits on their skin like a plague covers their necks with rashes, makes them spit every time they look at us, every time our eyes meet. A sick kind of pallor on their skins, the look of people so close to death, they've already seen the shadow looming, never used to look like they could kill for killing's sake, the way they walk like broken branches after a hurricane has crushed through the forest, sharp edges, clumsy limbs, heads bowed, and when they look, there's nothing but cold in their eyes. Not even when a nigger stole some food or raised a hand to a white man. Not when they crowded a running buck, his head full of Canada, his mouth full of kill me now. Not when Miss Ulam dragged me into the parlor, told me to lift my frock so she could lay the switch on me so I could bleed to remember not to cut my eye anywhere near her. Even then she gave me a warm wet rag and whispered soft as cotton, it will burn for a few days but it will heal. As if somewhere love wanted to come out. But not now. The guns are silent now. Soldiers look like hobos walking through the dust, jittery eyes, trying to run from something they can't stop seeing. And they hate us like God hates sin. Hate how we smell. Hate how we talk. Hate how we sing. You can't tell with them no more. They say y'all is free like they announcing our death. They say we can't leave the district, can't leave this town, can't jump on a train, can't go nowhere. But they say, y'all is free and laugh. This country smells of death. Walk in the forest, you're bound to find a bloated body of some poor nigger who opened his mouth every mile you walk. The flies, so drunk, they don't move for nobody. This is a little fantasy. It's called The Old Woman on the Road. Hard not to want somebody standing by the road with a bucket of water. Somebody ordinary but 
with eyes old as anything around you to tell you that it's all right, who wouldn't want to hear a woman singing a baby song, a lullaby at the edge of the night, something to calm you, make you sleep, because you know that when you wake, she'll be there, her hands smelling of thyme and garlic, onions, her roomy eyes still alive with questions and knowing, her spotted skin basic as dirt and her gravel voice, such a calming thing for you. Yeah, you can't blame me for searching out the woman on the hill, the woman with a bandana and a long skirt stained with the dew and grass from the thick bushes, a woman with arms taut as a tree limbs, a woman who will hear all your sins and tell you that you will still live until tomorrow, a woman who will embrace your body racked with disease and let you know that crossing the water is not as harsh as you might have thought to tell you that there is more light in the grave than you may think. We are all looking for the woman with 200 years under her skin, the woman who can touch you and remind you that there are things bigger than the sky, bigger than today. And what we fear most is that we will travel for years always looking for her, but never find her. We fear this more than our nightmares. <clears throat> Just a few more. Mist. I am a graveyard. Here, there is no mourning. The dead are dumb as wood. I have forgotten how to cry because I can see spirits as if the graves have broken open on that red resurrection morning. The earth is a mansion with many floors, the layering of centuries, the spirits strolling. No one crosses the plain, so many millions gone only to return as if there are many earths transparent as the glassy film of ice over a pond. I don't know names anymore. The spirit is what we call them, are soft as clouds or mist they travel. These days I stand before a boiling pot until it dries and cracks, all the steam caressing me like the love of the dead. Healing comes from the spray of iron on damp cloth. Healing is the scent of burning, the faltering of crushed cloth, the sweat of labor. I am a graveyard, wet with sea fog. My memories will not let me go. I'm staring upwards looking for blue sky through the crowd of souls streaking the heavens. Okay, two more poems, and, um, and I'll be done. But this one is like an epic 20-minute poem, so. <laughs> yeah, just just, 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 that's a joke. That's a joke. It's not, it's not, it's not that long. It's 18 minutes. All right. <laughs> Psalm 104. This is a series of sonnets. One, city. Some began with nothing but faith, following the routes of old-time slaves used to take, 
keeping away from the wrath of hounds following the river where old graves of the blessed sometimes give up their bones along feet hardened paths through woods but soon all the bread turned to stone and the thirst and hunger in their blood slow them down no borders here no countries just a howl of woods wolves and all they had was a quick prayer and faith in the appearance of doves God presented them with a city a habitation of brick and steel their dubious salvation to a sea all these journeys over dry pampas the salvages where the leaves swallow salt and thrive everything turns white as bone our baggage weighs us down the boat will arrive its belly low on the water the merchants calculate our worth at mid sea we learn to read the sky to search its scent to search its scant blankness for hints before the heave of waves this is the glory of god this journey is a return to the familiar terror of the sea and the almighty's rod taming us this is the path travelers take to the city of bones in the deep where at last the traveler will sleep 3 mother a motherless mother knows the breaking of loss carries it in the slope of her shoulders the way she stands on the beach after the heave and toss of the long crossing a thousand souls pray for the language to hope their sour breaths blowing into the sails the sound is a cry that has no reply we did not arrive with stealth we arrived emptied of what we had tried all along the journey to keep dry and whole the memories the songs but under the shadow of whooping sails the air sucks deep holes into the body leaving you to to seep that slow seepage of despair i mother of thousands i'm still trying to retrieve these healing songs for stole old pirates yes they rabbi stole i to the merchant ship so funny how the path to redemption songs is crowded with the questions only sufferers ask why what did we do and for how long as if their perdition marks the measure of how fallen they have been the truth is always harder all are broken people everyone has some secret some uncouth narrative of failure but how terrible must one's sins be to cause such ugliness these chains these dungeons these holes this enslavement this distress this loss of things holy all they stole from us if it is not the fault of the slave who will cry out when we dance on this grave five iron before your journey across the steaming earth towards the water's edge before you step in feel the tickling warmth slowly washing dirt from your salt dry skin check for everything make sure you have a flask of rain water the knotted torso of a ginger root a flower that broke out of a brittle shell a piece of paper with simple verbs scrawled all over its plain surface and a piece of iron as old as you can find the man who makes this journey without iron will soon falter will grow cold at the site of the city of bones his body will shiver with fever and the congregation will sing softly too late too late too late for heaven 6 ginger 
Peel the ginger of its pale skin, let the white bone show. A touch of green is good, it is hope. Chop the flesh, breathe the soft, quiet healing in the broken parts. If you can cope with the bite of sun, you can cope with loss. Put the handful of broken ginger in a pot of water, let it boil long, slow, until it mists and the root grows soft. Place your face over the hot pot, breathe some more till sweat covers you. Now pour off the juice, crush the roots, squeeze your fist around the pulp, a lime and two palms full of brown sugar stirred in, then let breeze cool your brew, let it settle for three days, then drink slowly, purge your history away. Seven, flack. For days it's been raining a brittle cold deluge, slicking the streets. Even the horses have been dragging their buggies with haste to find refuge in warm stables. I have seen in this twilight the rain sip stippling the eastern window panes. Your lithe body a brown glow against the pewter gray of the sky. Your scarf aglow as you collect the bucket now full of rain. And you have come in smelling of sweat and the biting salt of sex. Poured the cold water into my soldier's flask, your eyes wet with the laughter of the satisfied. I grow hard against with, again with gratitude as you soak a blue rag and cool my brow and say, ah, my love, my stag. Eight, comfort. We quarrel as if we've forgotten already the taste of our skins. The way in the midst of our lovemaking we stopped holding our breaths as if not to waste this moment with labor. As if in that halting we were afraid to imagine anything else but the perfect completion of desire and death. Even the word love seemed facile for those gut churning, for this gut churning vertigo, this wordless sucking out of breath before we howled so loudly, so riotlessly, riotously that we frightened even ourselves. Now we argue as if we have places to run away to angrily, as if in the desert of absence we would have a clue of how to live without each other. I offer this craven comfort. To love like this is to suffer. And nine, city of bones. At the gate of the city of splendor, the city of beauty, light as an open doorway, the broken darkness of the hull, there is no pity. Just the gatekeeper whose name you say with soundless gulps, for the gatekeeper is the one you have wounded. The dark memory waiting to lash out. You fall deeper into your sorrow with the offering of the stark nakedness of your plea for mercy. You will sweat at the city of bones, tremble at the bone-weary ache in your body. And when you beg for mercy, you will stumble into the brilliant impossible of silver in this gleaming city of celestial splendor. So I'll end with this last poem, which is uh, a meditation on the art and on poetry. And, um, and then that will be it. I'll be happy. We can have some discussion, some talk afterwards if you have any questions for me. This poem is called Sacred. It's part of a very new sequence that I've been writing in conversation with uh, John Kinsella, Australian poet. Sacred. I have been searching the sky these last few days as if looking for an ending. Today there was barking, yet the sky was empty. It was a single creature barking, and I searched the sky hoping to find just one last goose, a kind of rare guard, 
the one who struggles in case anyone is hurt or has lost its way. But the sky was empty. Still, I blame my sight for the dog kept looking up, yanking on the leash as if she too wanted to follow. In my head these days, I'm constructing plots. Sometimes I'm infested with the art of fiction. I grow fatigued by poetry, and while I find little solace in fiction, I still find it healthy for my brain to pile plot upon plot, to hear voices quarreling in my head, and I pretend to myself to take notes. Here is one. There is a character in a series I've been watching for a week, a kind of orgy of betrayals. For days, my body carries that strange sickness of someone who has been hurt relentlessly mercilessly and my body is waiting for the retribution all stories need but it never comes and each day I list her betrayals they are legion and in the final scene of the final episode she falls into a coma while the world festers with resentment this is a curious cruelty I believe that people who make such art are the geniuses who advise politicians they know how to make plots filled with desire and longing but the healing never comes and this is a kind of of art. Your man Flanagan from Tasmania tried to say something like that, something about how poets too can be brutal, something about how we are not one thing, we are many, and we can make beauty, and we can make the ugliness of life. I am supposed to agree, but I know that for all my self-deprecation about the poet, oh, we are not special, we are just the ones who learned the craft, I know there is more a kind of capacity for regret, for lamentation, for human feeling. History is the history of humans. The poet who murders is a failed poet. And maybe it is true that all poets are failed oracles, but some failures are more abject than others, surely. I will deny this if asked, but we'll say it here. This, that which we do, it is sacred. We are not arrowing ahead. We are instead the rearguard, rounding up the jetsam and the dizzy stragglers. And when we get here, there, which we will, make no mistake, we will have stitched such lovely elegies to correct and comfort the tribe in whatever stickless land we light upon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.